So you don't have a watch. You don't have a belt. You know? You're packing too? Yeah, right? And then you pack all the stuff. You're like, where is it? Anyway, but I feel good because um, I outworked my teenager. There was another kid that was 18 too. And they were all like passed out. And now daddy was still going strong. So we're good. We're good. I'm like, I still got it. This is awesome. But yeah, so we had some angels of mercy. Rika and Heinrich came and helped us yesterday. So merciful. You ever need, not, not to volunteer Rika, but man, you ever need an instruction booklet on how to pack, that girl just takes charge and gets it done. She's like, let's just go. Let's move it. Move out the door. Let's get it out there. So anyway, so we're talking about David. We're doing a study in the life of David. David's a very prominent figure in the scripture, and we should understand David's life for the reasons that the Bible emphasizes, and that is because he's held up as someone that, that's pointed to. If you know anything about David, one of the things David, the, the Jerusalem is called the city of David. The star on the Hebrew flag is called the star of David. Uh, um, Jesus is called the son of David. So on and on, David is put out there as a prominent figure. And he's put out there not because he's perfect. Aren't you glad? This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of the Bible. Is people are not perfect. And God puts it right out there. Good, bad, ugly. This is what he did right. This is what he did wrong. This was really screwed up. And this is something he probably should have done. Right? So the Bible just gives it all out there, and it shows us these examples so that we can learn from them. And the big thing with David's life was that David, regardless of what he went through in his life, his angle was always towards the Lord. And that's the difference. And that's why J David is elevated to such a status, because a lot of people in the Scripture, they had good, bad, and ugly, but they didn't always, they didn't always revert back and follow the Lord. They didn't always use Jesus as their compass. And David always reoriented himself back towards the Lord. And that's why his life is celebrated. It wasn't because he was perfect. It wasn't because he made mistakes. And you're going to see one of the guys in the story here, we're going to talk about a little bit, is Saul. Saul had a direction. Saul screwed it up. Saul went away from the Lord. Saul was given multiple opportunities to correct his life back towards God, and he didn't. And so while Saul is an image of failure, he doesn't have to be, but he, he chose to be. David is an image of success, and his, sac his success is not based upon his abilities. His success is not based upon his charisma. His success is based upon his heart towards the Lord. He's a man after God's own heart which means regardless of anything, God, he pursued the heart of God. And even when you see him failing, and he did some really dumb things, he's, out, he's living among people that he shouldn't be living with, he's doing things that he shouldn't be doing with people he shouldn't be with, and he loses everything. You're going to see this in a couple of weeks. He loses everything. What he does after losing everything, and now everybody wants to kill him, is the Bible says that he encouraged himself in the Lord. And you see this as a constant compass in his life. God, he, he knew when he was off track and he would just get back on track. And so that's one of the things that we can take away from David's life. And it's really important to us because how many knows you're going to get off track somewhere sometime along the way? Some of you, you don't intend to get off track, but you're off track. You're like, how did I get here? I don't even know. You know what I mean? You're lost at sea. You're drifting and you're like, I don't know how this all happened. But, you, but Jesus is always the compass and he always points true north. Saul is the current king, and Saul is insanely jealous of David. Jealous to be crazy jealous. And he wanted to kill David. He pursued David with everything that he had. He tried to kill him with a spear. He used an army to hunt him down. And the question here is, why is Saul so jealous of David? This is the question. 
Why? For what reason? That's the question actually David was asking. What have I done? He was, he was jealous of David because David had favor on him. Well, the answer to that is so did Saul. Saul had favor on him too. See, David's got favor, but so does Saul. Saul's sitting on the throne of Israel. God gave him an anointing. God gave him a position. The only one that could remove Saul legitimately from that position was the Lord. And the Lord chose not to do so. Gifts and callings of God are without repentance. What God endows you with, it's a lifetime endowment. You can be faithless with it, but he'll be faithful with it, with what he's given you. You can completely screw up what he's given you, but he will not retract it from you. That's a hard one for us to realize. But God gave an endowment to Saul, and Saul is a mirror of somebody who didn't want anything to do with him, but God never vacated his position from him. He kept him there. There was a lot of other things that were going on in Saul's life, which we're not going to get into, where God was trying to get his attention. Saul just ignored it. But nonetheless, God was the only legitimate one to remove him, and the Lord chose not to. He chose not to. Saul's choices ultimately led to his own removal. Saul's choices ultimately led to his death. But God could have done it at any time, and he chose not to. Some of you should breathe a sigh of relief. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. He doesn't change his mind, even if you do. Even if you're faithless and jack the whole program up, if you'll bring it back to him, he'll reestablish it. Some of you have experienced this. You've given, given things from God, and you've blown the whole house up. And you go, now what am I going to do? And you watch him rebuild it. He does it again. And he becomes good to you again. Not based upon what you were, but based upon who he is. He holds nothing against you. He's merciful, long-suffering, and unto thousands and unto generations. Those who love him, when you come back into covenant with him, and you never lose covenant, but when you come back into relationship with him or alignment with him, God will take everything you messed up and he'll restore it. And if, you don't, if you've never experienced that and you feel like you've lost it all, I encourage you, go back to him. He will be merciful to you just because Amen. he's merciful. Amen. He will be kind to you just because he's kind. Amen. He will love you just because. Just because, for no reason at all, he will be good to you. And you'll stand with your, in awe of him. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us back to him. That's how this whole operation works. We portray God as he's standing there with a baseball bat waiting to thump us the minute we get out of line. That is a complete false representation of who he is. That is a vain representation, an empty representation. And we're bearing his name, or we're bearing his image in vain. That's completely not who he is. He's merciful and kind. You should, we should be, the Christians should be the most freest people in the world because we can't screw this up even if we tried. It's true. God made a covenant with Abraham which is similar to the covenant that we make with Christ. It is an irrevocable covenant. It was a blood path. Abraham had to cut the, cut, he, he took animals. The Lord said divide the animals and, and cut the animals in half and make a path in between. Well, how many knows when the animals cut in half, the blood runs together and it forms a path and so we had to cut animals and clean, and there was a blood path that was created. And the Bible tells us that Abraham fell asleep after he did it. Well, there's two things that went on. He, he, he made the sacrifice, and he shooed the animals away. The birds kept trying to consume it, and he threw it away. What you offer to God, sometimes you've got you to shoo the animals away. You make your life an offering to the Lord, and the enemy tries to steal. You've got to get the birds off the offering, man. I'm serious. Whereas what's consuming the, what's offered to the Lord? Get rid of it. And so Abraham made a blood path, and the Bible says Abraham fell asleep. And a burning cauldron of fire, because God's a fire, came down and went down the blood path. So a pillar of fire went down the blood path. Right? 
and pronounced the blessing over Abraham. Surely in blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply. And he pronounced the covenant over, Ab- over Abraham that Abraham had no control over because the, the brother's asleep. You understand that? He had no participation in it. God made a covenant unto him based upon himself and only himself. It was not based upon Abraham. It was a choice of favor that God made. When you come to Christ, I don't know if this registers with any of you, there is a choice of favor that's been placed over you. You have become the favorite of God. You say, I don't look like it. I never t- that, that, that has nothing to do whether you look like it. It has nothing to do with whether you feel like it. It has nothing to do with whether you're walking in it. The favor is on you. And the way it works is you have to realize the favor's on you. You have to begin to align yourself with the favor that's on your life, and you have to begin to make choices, declarations, and decrees in the direction of the favor that's over you. It doesn't happen by default, but the favor's on you. God makes a choice. He does not, his, his love towards you is irrevocable. Irrevocable. Isaiah 59, I believe it is, he says, this is the covenant that I make with you. He says, this this is as the waters of Noah to me. He's talking about the blood of Jesus. I think it might be Isaiah 54, because 53, he's talking about the sacrifice. But the the, the promise is related to the blood of Christ on the cross. It's a prophetic declaration, because Jesus had not been crucified yet. But he said, this is the covenant that I make with you. I will be angry with you no more. God's not angry with you. He's angry with you no more. He's not angry with you. People are like, oh, God's mad at me. Who, who told you that? Your Bible doesn't tell you that. The devil might be telling you that, but Jesus isn't telling you. He's not angry with you. He's like, I've disappointed him. How can you disappoint the one you did not appoint? What happens is, is you're out of alignment with his blessing. That's all that's happened. People are like, oh, God's getting me. No, you moved out of his blessing. God doesn't have to do anything with you. If I go and stand on I-95 and the car hits me, that's not God's will. You understand? I shouldn't be standing on I-95. And Christians go and move. Here's his blessing. The rain is falling. This is where the covenant is. The shadow of his blessing. He overarks us with his light, his shadow. And the blessing is within his presence. We move outside of his presence. We make choices against his presence. We make choices against our destiny and our calling. And consequences come and we go, look what God did to me. You're completely out of line. God didn't do any of that to you. You're there because of your choices. And if your choices will realign, the blessing will come again. It's that easy. We, we got to understand this from the correct perspective. It's important that we have the right paradigm and we understand God. That's why it tells us not to carry his name in vain. Don't carry my name in an empty representation. Don't make an idol of me that I am not. And we think we're worshiping idols. We worship idols of God. We create Jesus as an idol. We create him in an image of our own making. And we say God's like this when he's not. That's a vain representation of him. And that's an idol that you're worshiping. That's not who he is. It's not. It's not God as we understand him to be. It's God as he declares himself to be. You understand that? So we have to understand him from the place that he is revealing himself to us from. And we have to come to terms with that. We don't always like it. It makes no sense to us, but that's what's fair to him. Grace is fair to Jesus. Grace is not fair to you and me. You know what's fair to you and me? Justice. It's true. We want grace for ourselves, but justice for everybody else. Oh, I need grace on that. Man, that person gets justice. They need justice. (laughs) Grace is what's fair to him. Grace is not fair in the human economy, but grace is fair in heaven's economy. He chooses mercy over justice. Mercy triumphs over judgment or justice. Judgment is powerful. We, We tend to idolize the judgment of God, and we have no one concept of his mercy. 
Mercy is what you don't deserve. He's just merciful. He's merciful because he's merciful. He does not want judgment. He, turns, he chooses mercy. He has to judge when he has to. God's judgment is his last resort because he has no other option. That's not his first option. God's first option is not judgment. It's not. His first option is mercy. Mercy with the intent to bring you into blessing. Goodness of God is the foundation of all theological understanding. Without an understanding, we think it's the righteousness of God, the holiness of God. That's the foundation. We have churches and we have seminaries. They lay the foundation on holiness. Or they lay the foundation on righteousness. The foundation is not on righteousness or holiness. The foundation is on the goodness of God. That's where the foundation must rest. I didn't say holiness wasn't important. I didn't say righteousness wasn't important. But that's not the cornerstone. The cornerstone is His goodness. Everything angles off His goodness. That'll change your life, man. He's good because He's good. You should ask Him, Lord, how good are you? You should ask him. And he's going to go, let me show you. And how is he going to show you? He's going to bless you or he's going to remind you of things. Remember when I did that? You're going to go, wow, you did do that. And he's going to remind you, remember when I did that? You're going to go, wow, you did do that. And then he's going to look what I got for you. If I did that then, what do you think I'll do for you now? David had favor on him, so did Saul. So do you, people. Christian, you got favor on you. The bread is for the children. The bread is for the children. Our businesses should succeed because we are anointed of God. Our marriages should succeed because we are the anointed of God. Our children should be taught of the Lord because we are the anointed of God. We should have power, influence, whatever it is that is what we, it should be there because we are the anointed of God. The anointing's not on the culture, the anointing's on the kingdom. We're not second class, we're first class. And if you really want to get contextual, we are the head and not the tail. We are above only and not beneath. That's, that's the mandate over the life of the believer. And we have to believe that that's what's over our life. And we have to begin to pursue that at whatever cost. And stop settling for diminished lives. And stop settling for diminished opportunities. David was liked by the people. Saul's like, oh, everybody likes David. Everybody liked Saul. They loved Saul. When Saul chased David, this is in the story, Saul's chasing to kill David. The people didn't run to David. They ran to Saul. They rallied around Saul. So if Saul was worried about if the people liked David, and if David, if they, David gets known, everybody's going to like him, well, he was proven wrong. The people liked Saul. They betrayed David for Saul. Many of them did. David was successful, so was Saul. If you look at Saul's campaigns and what he did as a, as a leader, was undefeated. The only time he got, he got defeated at the end of his life because of dumb choices that he made, he completely, he killed a bunch of, he did a bunch of dumb things. But up until this point, Saul was successful in everything that he did. So if he was jealous of David's success, all he had to do was look at his own. David honored the Lord. Here's where everything crosses. David lived a life of honor towards the Lord. Saul did not. That's where everything changed. Saul lived a life towards himself. He did not live a life that honored God. He did not bring his life towards the kingdom. He brought his life towards himself. He was vain. Saul thought he had better ideas. Saul couldn't, he couldn't do a simple set of instructions. God said, here's what I want you to do. Simple set of instructions. Follow those. He couldn't follow them. The Lord would give him specifics, give him mandates, give him vision, give him direction. Saul goes, eh, I got a better idea. And that led to Saul's departure. Saul became very vain and empty. Jealousy is the weakness and insecurity within the soul. That's what jealousy is. 
there's two types of jealousy in the Bible, so it's important. We're going to define them. I'm going to define them for you. Say this with me. One type of jealousy is a good jealousy. The other type of jealousy is a bad jealousy. Saul's jealousy towards David was the bad type. He was jealous of him. He was jealous. He wanted what David had. And he wanted what David had because he failed to see what he had. He wanted David's vision because he failed to see the vision that he had. He wanted David's opportunities because he failed to see what he had. He couldn't see what he had, so he wanted somebody else's. Second Corinthians says this, you're the letter of Christ as a result of our ministry written not with ink but by the Spirit of God, not on tablets of stone but on a human heart. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything, but our competence comes from God. Say this with me, confidence and competence which is the ability to do, say this with me, comes from the Lord. Saul had lost his confidence and Saul had lost his competence because he had departed from the Lord. Next slide. It tells us this. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. Where Saul's problem was is that when you don't have confidence towards the Lord, there's something there. There's something, there's, there's something in the way of your confidence with the Lord. Either it's something that you did. Okay, God tells you to do something. You go, I don't want to do it. Competence and confidence is broken. Okay? God calls you unto something or he gives you, an, you, or you believe a lie, which is most common the practice. We have Christians over here who clearly know who they are, but are a bunch of cowards and won't engage what God told them to engage because it might actually cost them something. And then we have Christians over here who are completely ignorant to their identity. They don't know who they are. And they are held prisoner because they don't know who they are. And they have no confidence towards God because they don't understand that they're sons and daughters. The Bible never tells you to not have confidence towards him. Come boldly. But you don't know what I did. He, he, he doesn't qualify you with that. He doesn't say, consider what you did and then come boldly. He doesn't say that. Does he say that? No. He says, come straight in the door, sit on the couch, and let's have a conversation. Talk to me about who you, talk to me about your heart, talk to me about your desires, and let me talk to you about you. Let me tell you what I have for you. Let me show you a future. Let me give you a hope, and let me tell you what's in the way. Let me help you clean out the things that are preventing this from happening. That's what he does. Saul had issues with the Lord, so he couldn't have, he didn't have competence, and he didn't have confidence. Jealousy of and jealousy for. So Saul was jealous of David. What and jealousy of is what does not belong to you. What, so the question is not when we're jealous, the question is what am I wanting and what am I not realizing? So what am I not realizing about myself? It's a fail to re realize what you have. There should never be jealousy among believers. Amen. Like ever. Thank you. Ever. Amen. All of us have favor. You're all favored. You're all favored, right? You say, well, Jesus has more special people. Jesus doesn't have favorites. He has intimates. The whole church is favored. The whole, the whole assembly is favored. All are favored in Christ's eyes, but not all are intimate. Big difference. Big difference. Intimacy is related to us, and we talk about this first service. We tend to hold up Peter as an icon, and we're, we're missing the point of John. John is actually the, the image of intimacy, not Peter. Peter's like, I'll fight with you, all this, all this, so, you know, all this stuff. Peter coming back to the Lord. John went up to his heart and laid his head on his chest. That's the song we're singing. I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup that's in your hand, lay back against you and breathe, feel your heartbeat. It comes from the table where John had his head on Jesus' chest. What was he doing? He's listening. He wants to know the heart of God. He wants to know the heart of God. 
But John goes further. So if we really want to map intimacy, and we want to map what intimacy is really all about, because again, we have a disconnect. We have a bunch of churches, and we have a bunch of people, Christians today, intimacy. Oh, we just want to hear the heart of God. Oh, we just want to hear the heart of God. We want to hear the heart of God. My question is, what are you going to do with it when you hear it? Right. When you hear the heart of God, what will you do with it? Because he doesn't expect you to just lay there for the rest of your life listening to his heartbeat. He'll tell you what matters to him. Because, but he wants to know, does what matter to me matter to you? He'll tell you what your future is. He'll tell you who you are. Some of you, he's telling some of you this morning who you are through me. He's, he's speaking it. I'm seeing things that are off kilter because God is speaking to you. He's telling you who you are. He'll tell you who you are. He'll tell you who he is to you. And then he'll look at you to see if it matters or to see if you're willing to do anything with it. You want a future? You want a hope? You want a vision? Yeah, I want to know what God's will is for my life. I always ask people. Jesus will tell you, but are you going to do anything with it when he tells you? Most people don't want to do anything with it. They want to rock back and forth, go, yep, that's God's will for my life, and go off their way. When God determines his will over your life or releases a word over you, it is responsibility is now placed in your hands. God's just playing tennis with you. He just served you the ball. And now it's your job to serve it back to him. Are you going to do anything with what I just gave you? And you're going to engage it. Are you going to take life choices in line with it? I shared this first service. I've shared it many times. One of my favorite stories because it illustrates the point clearly. Go to this friend's church all the time. Great church. All the same. Wonderful things. All kinds of things. Did this guy get up and he testified. And I've seen him testify twice. Grabs a microphone. The Lord has called me to write books. I'm going to write three books. You know, this is the testimony service of some kind. And he's talking about, I'm going to write all these books. And God's told me, and all these books I'm going to write, I'm going to write these books. A year and a half later, I go there. Same dude, same church, same place, giving the same testimony. I walk up to him. How are the books coming, bro? I go, are you doing anything with the books? Oh, no, I'm just waiting for God. I'm going to write these books. The Lord's called me. I'm going to write books. I'm like, you got a chapter? You got a title? You got an opening sentence? You got anything? You know, Jesus is going to walk and drop a manuscript on your front door, knock, here you go. If he's put a word over you and he's told you something, your responsibility is to engage it. Engage it. That's right. Come on. Step two doesn't happen until you do step one. It'd be amazing if he sat down and started writing books, how the universe would start to open. And he would go down this path and the Lord would go, no, not that road, this one. That's how this stuff opens up. But we don't want to do it. We want it completely mapped every step away. We want to make sure there's no risk involved. And we want to make sure that we're going to be safe along the way. Jesus never promised you safety. He never promised you security. But he promised you you will go to the other side. That's what he promised you. He took the disciples across a lake in a storm. That wasn't very safe and secure. The only safety they had was his word that we're going to the other side. That's the only safety they had. The only security they had was his word that they were going to the other side. He didn't say, get in the boat with me so we can go drown in the sea. That's not what he said. That's why he rebuked them and said, why did you not believe? Didn't I tell you we're going to the other side? Did I for one minute say, we're going to go out in the lake and we're going to drown? He didn't say that. That's why Jesus was sleeping. Because the word had been released. It didn't matter what the environment did. The environment can rage against him all they want. But you're going to the other side because the master has said you're going to the other side. Oh, come on, that's for somebody. <laughs> I feel that one. 
You're not going to drown in a sea, Christian, but you have to make a choice towards it. The disciples got in the boat and they rowed and the wind was contrary, the Bible says, Every, which means everything was against them. You know what's interesting? They didn't stop rowing. Oh, it's contrary. This must not be the Lord. Jesus wouldn't send me into a storm. Big misnomers in the church. Here's what you'll hear. Pastors will go, well, we don't want to get ahead of the Lord. Uh, did you read that story? Jesus stayed on the seashore and goes, go ahead of me. We don't want to get ahead of the Lord. Well, he just told him to go ahead of me. And he went, before he went into a town, you know what he did? He sent them ahead of him. Well, we don't want to get ahead of the Lord. Well, who told you that? It's in your Bible. Well, God would never send you anything that's difficult. And God, if, if, if you've got resistance like this, brother, you need to just sit down and try to figure out if God actually called you to do this. Because this is, and, and that's, that's dogma. That's not doctrine. It's difficult because there's resistance. The kingdom suffers violence. Could it be that the opposition is because you're actually pursuing the kingdom? Could it be that the opposition is actually because you're going towards the worthy goal that God has set before you? Could it be that the enemy's trying to take you apart in every way that he possibly can and destroy you in every way that you possibly Some of you, you were like, man, my life was fine before I came to Jesus. <laughs> the planks are falling off the boat now. I mean, everything's falling apart. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to teach you how to put on big boy pants and big girl pants. That's what he's doing. He's trying to teach you how to stand on your own and how to fight because the adversary in front of you will succumb to you if you will fight him. If you will stand, the enemy will be, he will flee. It's not optional. The enemy tests you with what you know and what you don't know. Oh, I'm blood bought, I'm did whatever, whatever it is we say. The devil goes, really? Let's try it out. And until you learn to shove that shield of faith in his face, until you need to knock him on the head or cut him up with a sword, until you learn to stand your ground, until you get the helmet to where you know that you know that you know, until your heart is guarded, nothing's changing. The enemy will test you again and again. And victory is on the other side of opposition. Nothing worthwhile will never not be opposed. Somebody just told me this recently. He said the devil's not going to give you a clean run at it. If you think God told you to do it and the devil's going to, you know, that's just going to be a, a clean run, it's not, he's not going to give you a clean run. But I'm going to tell you when you learn to fight, the devil's going to see you come and go, man, not that dude. Not that guy. Do you know what it cost us last time we fought him? No, seriously. They, he pays, they pay a price. The demonic pays. It's, this is not, they don't just get nothing. They pay, a, there's a price that's paid. There's, an, there's, a, there's a cost that's imposed upon them when, when we overcome. And it's a defeat and it's a destruction. You become more powerful in the spirit and they're actually, their ability to afflict you weakens. It's true. You're become dominant into the personhood that you are and their ability against you goes down. And you, your enemies become your footstool. It's true. You walk through them. Ah, there's a word that was given over Solomon that said, the Bible says that Solomon did not even have an adversary. And this is the one I'm claiming over my life. Which means the adversary is the same translation for the word devil. There was not even a devil opposing him. He had reached a point and a place at this stage of his life. He wasn't that way the whole way through. But he had reached this stage where there was not even a devil that was willing to oppose him. Not one. Wouldn't it be nice to where they look at you and go, Phew. You go, bro. I'm not going up there. 
You know, I'm still, my mom's still not working from the last time I fought them. It's true. God's trying to teach you to stand. You say, I'm broke. Claim your promises. Claim your wisdom. Claim it. Claim it. Claim it. Stand and deliver and do what he tells you to do. It's true. You break through, he gives it to you. God's promised you healing. Stand and deliver. Come into the moment. Believe God. Trust the Lord. Go into it. Receive prayer. Go to the healing line. Humble yourself and go, I need prayer. It's true. Humble yourself and admit that you need prayer and let the power come. It comes over humility. 24-7. Some of you, there's a prayer, prayer line. We have people that are like dropping it. You know, first service, like, prophetic teams like, boo! You know, prayer teams like dropping it. I knew something good was happening because all the white sisters were dancing like this during the worship. And I knew, I knew somebody got healed or something. I knew something happened. And I had three people go, wow, my back completely healed. My husband's shoulders. And I go, how's your shoulder? He's like, great. And I, his son, their son's like, man, I feel good too. I got prayed for. So I knew something good was happening because the glory was, they were all like swaying with it. Over there. I was like, well, something broke, something broke through. Anyway, I'm just rambling. But anyway, on with the show. David's purpose and destiny did not belong to Saul. David's purpose and destiny was not Saul's, but that's what he wanted. What did belong to Saul was Saul's purpose and destiny. You understand that? Your purpose and destiny is what belongs to you. The other person's purpose, and that's why Jesus said, what is that to you? If I abide, if I will that he, I, he stays until I come, what's that to you? You follow me. You walk in your purpose and destiny and stop worrying about him. His issue comes with his issues. Your issue comes with your issues. Both of you follow me. Do what I put before you. And what we end up doing is we're either too afraid or we're too insecure and we don't engage the destiny that God's put over us. It begins with identity. You've got to know who you are. You've got to accept the fact that there's an inheritance on you. You've got to accept. You are not in this world by accident. You're not. The odds of you being born are, I don't even know, but it's in the trillions. Of that, that moment, that time, that sperm cell, that egg, at that time, you're here. Miracle. Your birth alone is a miracle. He'll hear it in biology anyway. So. He's kind of like, what's that? I don't even know. Anyway. <laughs> He'll hear worse than that in biology. Anyway. Um, we don't need to be jealous. There's plenty to go around. What we end up thinking is like there's not enough. Well, if he gets it all, then I don't get any. Because we come from a deficient economy. We think that God is deficient. We think that God is limited in his resources. Again, change your thinking. God's not limited. Heaven's never broke. Heaven never will be broke. If he gets, if he gets a big chunk and he, t- he withdraws from the bank account, you know there's an amazing thing that happens in heaven. The bank account fills right back up. Right back up. It's an amazing thing. Heaven, there's no resource that God does not possess that is limited. I teach you guys this because God, this is a revelation God gave to me, right? You, we have to have these rebel understandings of the Lord. The Lord told me one time, Kevin, it, you, this is how he helped to change my thinking. He said, the earth you're standing on is producing wealth. Do you think that I make anything that doesn't produce wealth? Do you think that abundance and prosperity, anything that I touch, does not have life and regenerating power in it? Do you think that? The world that you're standing in is, oil is being made in the ground right now. Gold is being made in the ground right now. Diamonds are being made in the ground right now. 
Are you aware of that? Right now. Rubies, gems, sapphires, all of that in the ground right now. Right now. You have a capacity too. There's ideas and concepts in the atmosphere that are yet to be realized. Where did electricity come from? Well, somebody got an idea and a concept. Somebody got a revelation. In the 1700s, there was no such thing as electricity. I don't know if you're aware of that. Somebody got a revelation and an insight into the internet. Somebody got a revelation and an insight into this, into that. Do you know you have the mind of Christ? These things have been released into the atmosphere. They're, they're waiting for someone to claim. Someone's going to claim them. And there are people out there that I know, Christians go, you know, I had that idea a long time ago. I had that idea before. Yeah, but you didn't do anything with it. That's the problem. You didn't do anything with it. You have to do something with what he gives you. There's a way to move forward in life. There's a way to get, build bigger buildings. You want to build a bigger building? You build a bigger building. Or you spend your time tearing down everybody else's building until yours is the last one standing. That's what Saul did. He spent a lifetime tearing down everybody else's building so that his. And David went about building a better building, a bigger building. You can either go that way or you can just spend your time tearing down everybody else. Jealous for, here's what it is. So jealous, Saul was jealous of. Here's the good jealousy. Jealous for. God is a jealous God, but he's not jealous of you. He's jealous for you. What's he jealous for? What belongs to him? When you give your life to Christ, you surrender everything. It needs to be taught. It needs to be a clear concept. We never used to have to teach this. We have to teach it now. We think it's like a buddy pass. Oh, Jesus, me and him, high five. No, I tell people when they come to Christ, if you're coming to me personally, I'm like, you're giving your life away. Are you prepared to do that? Because Jesus is about to make a blood bond with you, and you're surrendering all that you are or ever hope to be. And he's giving you all he is and all he, ever, all he is and all he ever is going to be. It's a blood bond. And in the spirit, there is no greater bond than that which is made by blood. Nothing more powerful than blood. Oaths mean nothing without blood. And the blood that we have with Christ is by blood. He purchased you with his blood. You do not belong to him. No aspect of your life is yours. Nothing. The church, has, the church has some misconception that, well, this is what I do on Sundays and the rest of my life, it's my time. Your time's not your own. Your talent's not your own. Your treasure's not your own. Absolutely nothing that you own, including the breath and the heartbeat of your body, belongs to you. It belongs to him. And if you're in Christ, it's completely his. So you see the point? So he makes a bond with you. And he's jealous for what belongs to him. Your worship belongs to him. Your life belongs to him. Your purpose, and God will not permit you to prosper in a way that excludes him. He will not permit you, and women are going to get this real clear. Ladies get this one like a bullet. They're going to, when I go under this, they're going to go, oh yeah. They're going to understand this nature of God because they possess this side of his nature. It's not that men aren't jealous, it's that women really understand jealousy. Come on, help me out. And what are the ladies jealous for? They're jealous for what belongs to them. When you come into a covenant with a woman and you come into a relationship with a woman, you're making a vow to her that my affections, my attention, my time, the best of everything on all of my love belong to you, apart from the Lord. And when she doesn't sense that or feel reinforced with that, she becomes jealous of it. That's why she hates your job. That's why, no, I'm, I only said one thing. I already struck gold. That's why she hates your job. That's why she hates your car. That's why she hates your friends. Oh, you just don't like anything about me. No, she's jealous for what belongs to her. You have pledged that to her. And when she's secure and she feels whole and she feels solid in what you are giving her, what she's promised, she didn't have a problem with any of this other stuff. 
It's the deficiency part that she has a problem with. And it's the same thing with the Lord. He doesn't have a problem with all your stuff. He has a problem with the deficiency. When you are not offering to him what is rightfully his, when you are not giving to him what is rightfully belongs to him, worship, adoration, recognition, offerings, everything. When you're not giving him what is his, that's where the, that's where the issue comes from. Acknowledgement. The devil does two things. He tries to get you to worship yourself as if everything comes from you, or he tries to get you to worship yourself by thinking you're a loser and you're a nobody. Either way, he wins because he's got you to see life through you. We don't see life through us. We see life through him. I am who he says I am. Nothing more, nothing less. And I can assure you there's nothing higher. Sons of the highest, daughters of the highest. Can you think of a greater title than that? I walk around telling myself this all the time. I go, I'm like, we are rulers. I don't understand it. You are going to rule the world to come. What in the world does that mean? I don't know. But you are, you're not going to be floating on harps strumming things. You will reign with him. You will be rulers of the world to come. The level of your rule, your salvation is not related to this. Rulership is. The level of your rulership is directly predicated on your service to him in this life. Directly. I didn't say you're not saved and going into heaven and going to be born again. But the level that he commits to you is directly related to your faithfulness in this life. Parable of the minus, parable of the talents. Five, five cities. Three, three cities. One, not good enough. Not good enough. You get it? We're going to rule in a world without end. Whatever you have in this life, you got for maybe, if you want to live till, let's just say you live 100 years, and let's say you get it at birth, you're going to have it for 100 years. What he bestows, what the master bestows, and what he endows, you have it eternally. I'll take that deal. Sign me up for that one. No man is a fool or no woman is a fool to give up what they cannot keep to gain what they cannot lose. All in for Jesus. Not all in for me. I'm all in for Jesus. All for him. God does not have a problem with people, places, and things so long as there is no deficiency in what is rightfully his. That's the issue. Do not be deficient. and He will be jealous for it. So if you worship your relationship more than you worship him, how many knows you're going to have problems in your relationship? If you think your business is what provides for you, how many knows your business is going to suffer problems? Until he gets it through your head that you do not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from my mouth. Your life comes from me. In me you live, move, and have your being. Not in the stock market, not in your employer, not in this, not in that, not in other people, not in relationships. Jesus doesn't have a problem with relationships. He created them. He doesn't have a problem with commerce. He created commerce. You understand this? Everything God created, it's dysfunctional because humans are involved. That's why relationships are wacky, because we've got a bunch of screwed up people. That's why business is screwed up, because we've got a bunch of screwed up people. But all of those systems God created. And he doesn't have a problem with you being successful, or being blessed, and all of these things, so long as he is not deficient in what is rightfully his. That is a very important concept. Honor is everything. Honor is everything. When in doubt, honor the Lord. You've made honor to him this, this morning. There's a lot of people that aren't here that don't make honor a precedent. They come and go as they please. God expects us to honor him on a Sunday. It does, and he doesn't care what it costs you. He, he really doesn't care. He's indifferent to it. Because he knows that, that none of that matters. I'm what matters. She's chosen what is needful to be at my feet. She's chosen what actually is going to inhabit her and what is actually going to bless her, being with me. Some of you, you come, you come on Sundays at great expense, at great cost. 
You're caught, some of you work, and you're saying, I'm not working on Sundays. You make that. He doesn't, it's not that Jesus is indifferent to it. He acknowledges it. We're the ones who have a problem with it. Well, it's going to cost me something. Well, Jesus doesn't care if it, what it costs you. He didn't really care. Well, it's inconveniencing me. I, I didn't get to bed till 2 in the morning. So what? So what? If you had to go to work the next day, you would. If it was going to cost you your job to get up out of bed, you would. If it was raining, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say, oh, I can't come in today, boss. It's raining. He'd say, well, don't come in at all. Or she'd say, don't come in at all. He's jealous for what's his. Next slide. He's jealous for it. Competence and competence come from the gods. Saul had issues with the Lord. Okay, next slide. Is that the next slide? Ah, jealousy. Yeah, Jonathan tries to reconcile. So I want to talk about jealousy. I want to talk about offense. These are human emotions that are very common to us. And we have to understand these because these are what impede our progress forward. Jealousy of someone impedes you. It stops. You start looking at them and not looking at the Lord. You start looking at this, getting in all these really dumb places within yourself. You need to realize what's yours. One of the cures to jealousy is to bless people. Praise God. And no, I got the job you always wanted. You know the job you wanted? God gave it to me. You want to go, you need to go, man, I bless you with that because I probably was too small-minded in my thinking. God's probably got something greater for me. So I'm really grateful that you have it. So now, it's right. So now you go to your father and go, okay, Lord, I need an upgrade off of what I was believing you for. That's right. I'm telling you, he blesses that type of person. The person that looks at him as generous and the person that looks at him as willing, when you see him that way and you call on that nature, he, he moves on it. You see me like that? You think I'll give you an upgrade? You, you, you didn't get mad because I gave it to your friend? Because a lot of times it's a test. It's a test. Told the Syrophoenician woman, don't give what is holy to dogs. It was a test. How dare he talk to that woman like that? He called her a dog. Yeah, sure did. Didn't blink either. Looked right at her. Said, you're a dog. I have no covenant with you. I have no obligation to you. Do you have bread on your table? Do you have a roof over your head? I have no obligation to you other than that. And the fact that I even give you that is an act of mercy. So what obligation are you laying hold of me on? But when the covenant woman did it, it was a completely different story. He called her daughter. He didn't call her dog because she had a covenant right. You understand that? She grabbed his garment and pulled on it. And he looked at her and said, daughter who knows what is hers. That's right. And the other one he called a dog because she was not in covenant with him. But he gave it to her anyway. She believed you're a God of upgrades. And I know you are because I've seen you upgrade other people. So I need an upgrade. I need you to give me what I do not deserve. I need an upgrade. And he gave it to her. He was like, right on, high five, my kind of woman, you can have it, go your way. And she got it. She got it. I'm serious. This is faith. This is what we pull on. This is what we live by. Faith is the currency of heaven. Human need is not the currency of heaven. Faith is the currency of heaven. We think Jesus is moved by human need. He is not. He is moved by faith. That's right. In our touchy-feely kind of woo-hoo-hoo kind of churches, we don't understand this. That's why there's no kingdom power. It's true. Because we don't understand the access points to the kingdom power. Human need is not the access point to, human, to kingdom power. Faith is the access. I believe that what you've done with them, you will do with me. And I'm fact, Lord, I believe that what you did with them, you're going to do more with me. Because you're the God of the increase, you're the God of the upgrade, and what you did for them, you'll not only do for me, but you'll take me further. 
So Lord, what's got to happen here? What's got to happen? And let him start. He's going to give you the plan. I'm telling you, I know him. I know him. I know him. I know him. Offense comes from the wrong attitude. Saul was offended at David. To offend means to push away. So here we go. We're going to be jealous and we're going to push away. What are we going to do? We push away from people. We push away from things. We push away from places. And we push away from the Lord because we get offended. The sooner you realize, I'm going to tell you this right now. Say this with me. It's going to help you. This is therapy. Say this with me. Jesus Jesus is going to to offend me. Yes, he will. 100% guaranteed he's going to offend you. You will be offended because he will not meet your expectation. And the reason he doesn't meet your expectation is because your expectation is either misaligned or too small. Thomas was offended. He was offended because Jesus did not meet his expectation. And when the Lord showed up, said, put your fingers here, put your finger here, he said, your expectation was too small, Thomas. You thought I was going to do this. I'm doing something far greater than that. Your offense is misplaced. I'm telling you. We will be offended at the Lord. He will offend you. Our churches are now modeled. American churches are modeled, and I'm going to put this out on the airways. Our American churches are now modeled to not offend anyone. And you know what I tell pastors when they tell me that? Because they, I've literally, well, we just want to have a culture where we don't offend anyone. We just want to have a culture without offense. Watch, watch some of the TV preachers. Nobody offends anybody at any time. And when, I tell, when they say that, I'm not saying Jesus is walking around offending everybody, but when you say something like that, we want a culture where nobody's offended. I go, well, you may as well leave Jesus outside because he's called the rock of offense. That's his name. I'm a rock that offends people. Why? Because I offend you in what you think is right. I offend you in your pride. The gospel doesn't stroke us in our arrogance. It strikes us in our arrogance. It's true. You think you're, you think you're saved, you're not. You think you're right, you're not. You think this is the way to blessing, it's not. You know, I, I'm not offended because I know his ways are right. I don't think I know anything. No, I'm serious. I have, I have moments of offense with the Lord, but I've learned to press into my offense and tell him where I'm offended, and usually he ministers back to me and shows me, or at least lets me marinate in my offense for a while. He'll leave me there for a while. You know what I mean? And then he'll come to me and start talking to me. Why are you offended? I didn't meet your expectation because, Kevin, you don't understand what I'm really doing. You're seeing it like this. I want to, he, I'm doing something entirely different than what you're doing. Or why are you offended? Did I not tell you to do this? Have I not given something to you? Why are you offended at me? If you'll do what I ask you to do, you're going to get where I told you you will go. But we get offended because we don't actually want to do what he told us to do. He gives you insignificant things to do to see if you're humble enough to do it. That's absolutely true. People go, oh, you don't have a lot of teachers here because few can stand under the light that I put them under. Oh, we want to teach. There's a children's ministry once you start in there. Oh, no. God, no, no. You know who I am. I can preach the lights out. I'm like, yeah, show me. Go right ahead. There's the garbage. So, okay, you want to go? So here's our process. I want you to take it through the process. This is what it looks like. And so, you know, I think Elliot, who's our, one of the, he's the, probably the greatest of us all. He's going to go to the front of the line because he does all the dirty work around here. Elliot needs some help. We've got to get the trash taken out, taken down the street. I want you to do that. But wait a minute. Didn't you understand what I said? I said I was going to preach the gospel. Didn't you understand that? I feel like God's given me a word for the church. I'm like, I'm sure he has. Wonderful. We'll hear that at some point in the near future or some point in the distant future, depending on where. People can't stand under that light. They can't, because the greatest is to serve. My job is to serve you. My job is not here to serve myself. 
My job is to bring the glory of God to you and to lift you into it and call you towards it. It's not here's the, well, what, you know, how wonderful I am and how beautiful I am, whatever it is I am. I don't even know what I am. I serve Jesus. I don't, I'm, I'm, my offense, I used to be very offended. I have tried to reduce it. I can't say that I'm never not offended with the Lord because at times I am. But what I have learned is my offense is directly related to my expectation. And my expectations are usually off. They're usually too small. So a lot of people get offended. They get offended at churches. They get offended at this. I got a pastor offended me. Get over your offense. No, I'm serious. Get over it. Get over it. We're, We're not entitled to be offended as Christians. That is not given to us as an option. Nowhere does God allow you the permission to be offended. Nowhere. Nowhere. You're not entitled to say, I don't go to church because church offends me. That is not an acceptable excuse. I'm serious. If you think you're going to offer that to him as an excuse, he doesn't accept it. I mean, pick one. I could go down a list of things that we use as excuses. I can't give. I don't have any money. Not an excuse. Not an excuse. I can't serve. I don't have the time. Not an excuse. Not an excuse. You're not excused. He doesn't excuse you. I'm sorry. That's the truth. So that offends me. Well, that's the point. Jesus doesn't accept your excuses, so you need to stop accepting them. And you need to stop living a life based on excuses. We live lives, oh, we have excuse, excuse, excuse. The Pharisees were offended at Jesus. How dare he heal on the Sabbath? That offends me. How dare he call himself God? That offends me. He healed a blind guy. Nobody in the history of Israel has ever seen a blind guy healed. That offends me. He healed on the Sabbath. That offends me. You got churches today, pharisaically run, that because if there's a manifestation of healing, how dare you heal on the Sabbath? Jesus doesn't heal today. I'm offended. You guys are a cult. The devil's healing. Really? Really? Last time I checked, he's in the disease business. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's today. We get churches that are offended and want to call somebody that actually prays for the sick and sees manifest healing. Oh, that healing was of the devil. Oh, that was of the devil. Speaking in tongues. Oh, that's of the devil. We don't want to speak in demonic tongues. Well, who told you there was a demonic tongue? That's you. That's your excuse for your cowardice and your inability to manifest glory. Stop calling us. What we do is we point the fingers at other people because we can't see ourselves. When the issue is your failure and your doctrine to manifest glory, and now you want to say everybody else is wrong because you can't do it. Because the problem, God forbid, couldn't be you. Can't be you. Has to be somebody else. We can't manifest healing, therefore healing's not of today. We don't speak in tongues, therefore tongues isn't for today. We don't prophesy, therefore prophecy isn't for today. Who told you that? That's human dogma created out of cowardice and inability. You want to get technical, and I say it every time I can. When Paul told the church of Corinthians, if they can't manifest power, don't listen to them. It's in your Bible. If they cannot manifest power, do not listen to them because they do not demonstrate the glory. My wife's telling me to land the plane, so I'm landing the plane. I'm landing the plane. Next slide. John the Baptist was offended. This is important. Say this. Jesus does not conform to our context. We are to transform to his. God doesn't come down to your world and come into some agreement with you. You're to go to his and come to the agreement with him. You understand? 
He doesn't operate the way we want him to. We operate according to the way he wants. We have to shift that. Moving into destiny. So here we go. We live a life based on excuses. Do you know anybody in this story, the guy who had the most opportunity for excuse was David. Saul didn't really have any excuses, yet Saul did all the wrong things. David had every excuse to do nothing, yet he did the right thing. David could have said, my father doesn't want anything to do with me. I had a broken relationship with my father. I never knew my mother. All of these facts are true. He did, his father didn't want anything to do with him. His mother wasn't around, whatever. We get into that. I could talk about that, but I won't. His brothers diminished him. Oh, my brothers, everybody just thinks I'm, you know, I'm nobody. So my whole life, my family treated me as nobody. My dad didn't want me. My mom wasn't around. We grew up poor. All of those could have been excuses, but he accepted none of them. What's your excuse? Crickets. What's your excuse? You don't have one. Excuses are not acceptable in God's economy. He doesn't, I don't know if you read, he doesn't accept excuses. He really doesn't. He, because he's given you access to partnership. He's given you everything that you need. He's not looking to you to do it. He's looking to you to partner. That's what he's saying. Partnership, he has no confidence in you. He has confidence in himself. You understand that? So he doesn't accept your excuses because he's given you access into partnership. I'll do it with you. I'm not going to accept your excuses why you can't. Look at Moses. Did he accept one excuse? Moses gave glorious excuses why he couldn't do what he, God told him to do. Oh, my gosh, they were brilliant. I can't talk. You know, I'm the least of my father's house. I'm all of the, I'm, oops, you don't understand. He had all the excuses in the world, but God didn't accept one. He doesn't accept yours either. So why are you? His value and destiny came from the, from the Lord. His employer hated him. He works for Saul. Saul hates him. Saul's trying to pin him to the wall, trying to kill him. My employer hates me. I'll never succeed. Uh. I grew up poor. My brothers never liked me. My dad wasn't around. His identity came from the Lord. We make excuses. Do you know you live in the United States of America? Listen to business coaches anytime I can. I try to always prompt myself up with certain perspectives, keep myself moving. I encourage you to do the same. Guy said, if you live in the United States of America, you won the lottery. You won the lottery. 7.3 billion people on the planet. You live in a country of 300 million. You won the lottery. No place like this country. You don't have an excuse to not succeed. You have none. Zero. Zero. And you don't need the government dole. That's not what you need. I said this the first service because this is what has to be understood. If you understand America for what it is, you will succeed. If you think America is something that it is not, you will not succeed. Say this with me. It's going to bother some of you, but that's okay. We're talking about being offended, so it's all right. You can learn. Say this. America is not a land of economic equality. Let's leave that alone. Let that bother you. Say this with me. America is a land of economic opportunity. The system blows up every time we try to make it economic equality. It is not designed to be economic equality. It is designed to be economic opportunity. That's why a lot of the native-born Americans watch migrants come to this country and succeed within a generation. And they blew past you. Your family's been here 100 years, and you couldn't achieve what they did in 30. Why? Because they understand the opportunities that are presented to them, and you don't. You're blind. There's no excuses. The only one stopping you is you. And we have the greatest gift that's ever been given to a generation. It's called the Internet. You have an opportunity to make money 24-7 on the Internet. Find a way. I don't care what your, what your excuse is. You live in the United States. Get over your excuses. But I want this, start with that. But I want this, start with that. 
Start with that and start leveraging your opportunities towards something greater. You don't have an excuse. I'm serious. You really don't. You don't. You can have a pity party. You can keep wrapping yourself up and sucking your thumb and saying, oh, poor me, poor me, poor me. I got news for you. The, the culture doesn't care and the kingdom doesn't accept your excuses. You won the lottery. You better start thinking like that. You have an opportunity you don't have anywhere else in the, anywhere else in the world. Nowhere. Nowhere. I don't care where you tell me you're going to go. I'm going to tell you right now, there is nowhere that is this land. Nowhere. Nowhere. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I'm going to guarantee you it is the greatest opportunity in human existence. Amen. Lived in Germany, lived in, lived in Europe. Insanely difficult. Canada, please. <laughs> they're lucky. I'm serious. If you're Canadian, I grew up on your border. They're lucky they're our neighbors. I'm serious. That country couldn't find its way in a dark. It couldn't find a light switch in a lit room if it wasn't for the United States trading with them. No offense, KB. He's going to punch me. <laughs> they benefit greatly from our, from our trade. They benefit greatly. Greatly. Mexico's the same way. Mexico, Canada, to Canada's credit, and KB's a Canadian, he's a hockey player, he's going to cross-check me here in a minute. <laughs> to Canada's benefit, but he's here in the United States, you see, so big deal. <laughs> he said amen. So Canada, to Canada's benefit, they have leveraged the opportunity that's been presented to them, and they have built a structure. Mexico has not done that, even though they're adjacent to our border too. So to their benefit, they have leveraged it. They have realized an opportunity that they have, and the, our southern border has not. There's no reason why Mexico's as poor as they are. There's no reason. I mean, you're on the, it's just, anyway, I go on this all day, but anyway. The only one stopping you is you. Next slide. Seize the moment, Christian. Rise to the challenge, Christian. Stop making excuses. Stop. Really. Do us all a favor. Do yourself a favor. Stop making excuses. Name your oppressors. Who's holding you back? Here's what you need to do. Sit down and go, my dad never loved me. Cross that off. My family thought I was a loser. Cross that off. I'm too afraid. Cross that off. Whatever your excuses are, you need to name them because they're not acceptable. And whatever you need to deal with, you need to deal with. There's a prophetic word, prophetic vision. Do you have a vision over your life? Does God, it begins with identity. Who are you? You're a son and a daughter before the Lord. What is my purpose and my goal? What you, this is what I want you to do. It's direction to my kingdom. What do you want me to do personally? This is what I want to do. Then present it. Lord, I need an economic opportunity. How am I going to do this? Let him give you a vision. If you ask the questions, he's going to give you the answers. If you don't ask the questions, he's not going to give you the answers. It's that simple. And he's going to tell you. He's going to start laying it out for you. Attached to the prophetic vision is all of the resources and the connections that you need. My brother, if he was the team, whatever the vision is, like if KB or whoever, I don't care, pick one. Anybody want me to pick you? I'll pick you. I'll pick, I'll, okay, I'll pick Josie. If Josie were to go, Lord, what am I to do with my life? How do you want, when you, here's, here's a vision for your family. God will hit you on all layers. Here's a vision for your family. Okay, economically, this is what I need. This is what I want. This is what I do. He's going to start stirring your heart in a direction. He's going to give you a direction. Then as you start to go, okay, the Lord told me to do this. You're going to take a step. And he's going to start creating connections. And through those connections, he's going to start pr creating provision. The provision may not be everything that you need, but it's going to start happening. But it will not happen until you step into it. You just have to start stepping into it. You've seen that even with some things that you've already done. I know you've stepped into it, and it did, but those connections didn't come to you until you started stepping into it. Yeah, you had to step into it. God told me to do this, so I'm just going to step into it. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to keep telling everybody until, until something happens. That's how it works. You getting anything out of this? Okay, I know.
you grow and live towards the word over your life. Whatever God has told you, whatever he's told you, this is what he's told you, grow and live towards that. So if he's told you, you're going to, okay, I'll just use a ministry one, you're going to preach the gospel, I ask you, well, are you preparing yourself in the word? Are you learning the word? Are you learning his nature? Are you learning whatever he's told you? God told me I'm going to start a business. Well, are you learning what's necessary for that business? Grow and live towards it. Begin to put it forth. This is, I, this is what I want to do. This is what God heart, God's heart is. And grow and live towards it and let God start leading the way. Attached to your word are the resources and the connections that are necessary. We're doing a school. I had no idea. Four years ago, God, I go, I'm going, four, about three and a half years ago, we, Sherry and I were going to a bunch of conferences, two different conferences, and Sherry's always like, get a prophetic word. She just throws me right up to the front, right? You know, she'll come grab me. Come on, Kevin, you work. You work. I mean, not that I don't like them, but I'm just I'm like, okay. She just throws me up there. Guy gives me work. Two different words, two different places. You're a builder. I just see you as a builder. I see you like building things. You're just building things. That's what I used to do in my former life, right? Okay, that's what I was. I was like, so somebody could say this to me. So here again, if it begins with identity, guy says to me, you're a builder. So I could take the prophetic word and go, oh, well, that's a good read because I used to be a builder in past life. Yeah, wow, cool. Okay. Or I could go, wow, that's what I used to do. Maybe God's calling me to go into building. You know, ministry's really not that easy. I, you know, I probably should go into building. Wrong answer again, because he's defined my identity. He's defined my purpose. This, I'm in my purpose. Now he's calling me to build. So what I do, see, you process this. You take that word and you go, Lord, what do you want me to build? I'm not, this, this is a job I'm not vacating. This is who I am. This is what you want. So I'm here. But you, I know I'm not to build outside. I know I'm to build into this. What do you want? And then he starts telling me, I want you to do a school. I'm like, are you crazy? That came out of fasting and prayer. I have no idea what to do with school. We start down a pathway to do a school. The path gets completely corrected in another direction. But the path would have never got corrected had I not started, had I not led the church down. This, I tell the team, I'm like, we're going here. We start going here. And all of a sudden the Lord's like, no, we, we learn something new. And we go, no, 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 we're going to go that way. Then we start going that way. Then it looks like it's falling apart, and then all of a sudden it starts to happen, and, I, and all along the way, I, I'm running into all these obstacles, all these obstacles. What the Lord teaches you with the obstacles is he teaches you to define the process, and he wants you to understand what exactly you need. I have no idea. I'm walking, just feeling my way forward, and I'm sitting here, and then I go to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, we need a building like, you want the ideal? I want a building with 10 classrooms that's set up, ready to go, with adjacent property that has green space and plenty of parking. That's what I say. But that's what I want, but we'll work with what you give. We'll work with what you offer. Long story short, intersection happens through a connection, right? We start moving into the prophetic word, start telling him what we want. So he says, this is the direction. Then I start going, I want a business. So if I'm a businessman, I want a business that does $750,000 in income and nets $150,000. You start defining that to him and he starts and he'll come back to you and he goes, well, how about I give you a business that goes with $200,000 and you net 30 and then I see what you do with that. Okay, that's fine. You, you get the process here? Tell him what you want. If he says, I want you to be a businessman, then you go, okay, this is the kind of, you present it to him, let him feed back to you. Then we show, we show up and we, I, I walk into a building that Diana found through a friend of a friend or a cousin or somebody. We walk into a building and it's 10 classrooms built 10 years ago with nobody's been using, brand new. The whole facility is ready to go and they have an acre and a half adjacent to it. And they go, we're going to give you use of the building and we're going to give you the acre and a half. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> 
But it's exactly what he wanted. And through into the prophetic word is attached the resources and the connections. And this woman is very connected. So if this works out, this connection can lead to multiple schools. Should it work out? Do you understand that attached to the prophetic word are the resources and the connections you need to get there? But I started, we started this thing not knowing a thing. I don't know what I'm doing. I sit down, you know, my wife looks at me and she goes, you want to do a school? It's like, do you know anything about doing a school? I'm like, well, I got some ideas. <laughs> I go, I know how to build a business. I know what entrepreneurship looks like. And I know how to staff my weaknesses. So that I know how to do. I know how to get it going. And I know how to build into what's not, what's missing. So anyway, but that's how, this is how it works, guys. It works like that. This is a destiny-driven church. God has a destiny. And, it, and I'm playing it out into business. It can be in your marriage. This is the kind of marriage I want. This is the kind of home I want. This is the kind of kids I want. This is the kind of future I want. Whatever it is, you can play the same game. Lord, teach me how to raise children like this. Just give me a vision for my child. Give me a vision for my marriage. Give me, and then begin to play the same game. And the Lord's going to start showing you. It's an, it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue of exchange. Attached to your prophetic word is this. Discernment, courage, risk, and the ability to ex- not accept excuses for yourself. I was not planning on exhorting you this long, but it, I have. <laughs> and I now have successfully landed the plane. Don't give yourself excuses. The enemy oppresses you at the point of your calling. He's oppressing you at the point of your calling. Some of you, where's the area where you really feel like you're being oppressed? There's a calling for you there. He wouldn't be holding you back if there wasn't something for you. I don't know, but I know God has something for you. Do you believe that? Yeah? Amen. Let me bless you. Actually, stand on your feet if you would. I want you to offer this to the Lord. So we're going to give God permission to do something. All right? Let's just pray this. Say, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to dream through me. I give you permission to awaken my desires and awaken the dreams, the visions, and the purposes for my life. I give you permission to solidify my identity in you and to show me who you are to me. I give you permission to kick me in the pants in the direction of my destiny. I give you permission to accept no excuses from me and I purpose today to no longer accept excuses from myself from my circumstances or from anything and anyone around me there are no excuses only opportunities Holy Spirit show me the opportunities show me the small things that lead to the greater things in Jesus name Amen. let me bless you Yeah, come on. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace in every way. And may you forever live within His favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. I'm going to get cross-body checked by my, my Canadian friend.
No shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down. There's no shadow now, there's no shadow you won't this scripture to us. It's out of Luke 15. Sometimes people get confused by it, but I feel like the Lord's all over it tonight. I want to read it to us. (sighs) (laughs) It says, now the tax collectors and sinners are all gathering around to hear Jesus. The Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes the sinners and eats with them. The religious people are mad. It sets the stage and Jesus pipes up. He told them this parable. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country? And I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing. Just read a couple thoughts. We are, however, saying that